Shabbat Shalom, everyone. You may be seated. There was once a story of a chassid, very religious Jewish man, who had payas, the side locks, and black hat and a beard, and he was standing at the airport and just kind of minding his own business. And some guy walks over to him and just gives him a little nudge on his shoulder, and he says, you know, it's a shame, an absolute shame, what you Jews did to the Titanic. And the chassid is absolutely surprised. What are you talking about? What do you mean with the Jews did the Titanic? He goes, it's a shame what you did to the Titanic. You sunk the Titanic. So many people died, and it's your fault. And the chassid, who was just minding his own business, his face and nose were in his book reading. He says, what are you talking about? An iceberg sunk the Titanic. And the guy says, iceberg, Goldberg, it's all the same. <laughs> Today, and in particular in the last few days, the Jewish people are being blamed for a lot of things. Some that they didn't do. Some as outrageous as the sinking of the Titanic. This week, the Secretary of State made an offhanded comment where he linked together the lack of peace that exists between the Palestinians and the Israelis, and in particular, the lack of motivation on behalf of the Israeli people to find peace as one of the key fueling factors for ISIS, the Islamic State, which is about as far-fetched as the ideas that the Jews sunk the Titanic. We learned, we learned a few years ago that when in Tunisia, and then in Egypt, and then in Syria, and in Yemen, and throughout the Mideast, when a wildfire raged called the Arab Spring, it proved a hypothesis wrong. And the hypothesis was a simple one, that all of the tension between the Sunnis and the Shiites, all of the problems that existed in the Middle East region was a result of one thing and one thing only, and that was Israeli occupation and oppression. It was because of Israeli occupation and oppression and because of settlements that went up that caused unrest in Egypt, that caused unrest in Tunisia, that caused unrest in Syria. It was the root problem of all issues, it was believed. But when a man poured gasoline all over himself in Tunisia because he couldn't survive on the economy and knew that his government was corrupt and he set himself ablaze, it was a wake-up call to the entire region that the problems of Israel are not the problems for Egyptians or Tunisians or Syrians. Do you think 200,000 people have died in Syria in the middle of a civil war with rebels against Assad because they really are protesting settlement blocks? Is this the key issue why 200,000 people in Syria have lost their lives and why chemical weapons were used against them? and children have died? That is about as absurd as it is to call me anorexic. You can't look at me 
You can't know my love for food. You can't believe that if you spend more than 30 seconds getting to know who I am. It's impossible. And it is absurd. We have learned through our history that Jews have to speak up and to be advocates. Because if we don't, we get blamed for things. And we have to ensure that we don't accept those blames. Except, except when it's due upon us. I spoke a few weeks ago about something that is coming to a head on Tuesday, October the 20th. This Tuesday, the Metropolitan Opera will be releasing and premiering a new opera for the Met called The Death of Klinghoffer. In it, for those who've taken the time to read the opera, and particularly the libretto, you will learn that in that libretto, written by people who are admitted anti-Semites, not an, not an accusation being made, this is their own admittance. They do not like the Jewish people. In that libretto, the death of Leon Klinghoffer, a 63-year-old man honey, uh, taking an anniversary cruise with his wife on the Achille Laro, who was bound to a wheelchair from health issues, including a stroke, was summarily shot in the back of the head and thrown overboard because he was a Jew. Not because he was Israeli, not because of his political affiliation, not because of his Zionist roots or beliefs, but because he was a Jew. And the entire libretto draws empathy, draws a sense of sympathy for those terrorists who performed this terrible act. Now, many in the Jewish community, including myself, in a host of yarmulkes in which I wear, one as a concerned member of the community, one as the rabbi of this temple, and one as the president of the board of rabbis, have stepped loudly on the steps of the Metropolitan Opera and its leadership in saying, this can't go on. This opera shouldn't go on. And now, the leadership and those who believe that it is artistic right and a beautiful piece of art, one of the most beautiful operas I've been told in the last 25 years, are claiming the Jews are inhibiting art and our freedom of expression of art. Another example of Jewish people being blamed for something that is absurd. No one is claiming that the Met doesn't have the right to show this opera. The Met has the right to show whatever it wants. Of course, we all subscribe to its freedoms to express art as they choose. I don't find them guilty of that. What I find the Met guilty of is horrible taste. Do you remember a handful of years ago, there was a pastor in Florida who decided he wanted to burn a whole bunch of Korans in a public ceremony? And it got so elevated and so worrisome that the Secretary of State actually called and intervened and begged him not to do the act. Now here's where the rubber hits the road. There's nothing in the law, both in the state law of Florida and the United States government law, that prohibits him from having a public burning of the Quran. Nothing. He can even burn a flag if he wants to. But what we find him guilty of, what act we find criminal, is poor taste and some form of incitement, something that will stir and agitate the emotions of others unnecessarily. 
Jews are not free from blame. There are bad Jews out there. Bernie Madoff, bad Jew. Embarrassing to our tribe. A time whenever his name is mentioned or the implications of his choices and decisions are felt, and I've met people who have had their entire fortunes taken from them because of his actions, I sulk in absolute embarrassment. A few years ago, I went to Hebron, and in Hebron, I saw a monument to those innocent worshipers who were shot down and murdered by a radical fanatic the name of Baruch Goldstein. Baruch Goldstein was a religious Jew, so-called, who decided as a religious Jew that he wanted to open up fire in the, gra- in the cave, which was the grave for Abraham and Sarah. These are bad people. Yigal Amir, the murderer of Yitzhak Rabin, is a bad person. There are rabbis in the world, some even recently, who have been arrested and brought up in charges for doing horrible things, for violating rights of privacy, for molestation, for criminal acts. And each time that happens, it is a source of embarrassment. But you know who else was Jewish? Jonas Salk was Jewish. You know who else was Jewish? Yoni Netanyahu was Jewish. And there are people who are part of the Jewish faith that we can hook onto and be proud in our connection of our tribalism with who they are and what they represent. That should be a source for all of us. And there are, in this world, people of different backgrounds and faiths, whether they are Latina, whether they are black, whether they are Muslim, who are fantastic contributions to the human society. And there are some that are bad. But to make a blanket statement that is the blame of all problems upon a particular race or people or country is pure false. And we are too sophisticated a nation and too sophisticated a people to ever say that. Does that mean that Israel is, has absolute impunity from all wrongdoing? Of course not. Does that mean that at times Israel acts in a way from which we can be shamed? Occasionally, but not often. Does it also act in a way that should bring us pride? You bet. And we can say the same for other countries that surround it. We are not free from wrong, and we are not all wrong. I share this with you on this Shabbat because of a very simple concept that is often overlooked. And statements by the Secretary of State imply how this was overlooked. And the simple concept is this. God creates the world in five days. The sixth day, God creates living things, including humans. And then the seventh day, God rested. And when God created the human from the dust of the earth and from the rib of the man and put them together, God created at that very moment hearts and lungs and livers and spleens and eyes and ears and nose and tongues and the five senses that we all have. But the one thing God did not create in us was our destiny. God gave all of us a sense of free will. 
a sense of choice, to allow us to know the difference between good and bad, right and wrong. And that choice was proven even further when Chava, when Eve, eats from the tree of knowledge and knows the difference between right and wrong and good and bad, and also suffers at that point what we all suffer from, a sense of mortality, that we will not live forever. The choices of good and bad and right and wrong live in every human being. And there are bad human beings out there that make bad choices, like the terrorists that shoot wheelchair-bound people, throw them over a boat, and pray that they'll be glorified in song on a stage for all to see. And there are good people out there, the kind that sacrifice their life so that those who are taken hostage can be freed and return to their family, even though they're only taken because of their religious affiliation or the tribe in which they come from. That freedom of choice is a critical phenomenon, a critical gift given to us at the very beginning of our narrative to remind all of us a phrase that was repeated by Nelson Mandela and that I think about almost every day of my life. And the phrase is simple. No person is born into this world with hate. Not one person is born with hate. Hate is something that is taught. It's not something innate in another human being. As is love. Love is something that is taught. And a child who is loved will love back. And a child who is taught hate will hate back. And it's our choices as parents to choose love and to remember that. We're not responsible for the sinking of the Titanic. And we're not responsible for the 2008 crash. We are responsible as a people when we recite our confessions in the plural for the wrongdoings of Yigal Amir and Baruch Goldstein and horrible rabbis that do embarrassing things to our faith. We are. And we also are responsible collectively for the Jonas Salks and for the Yoni Netanyahu's and the impressive list that follows them. There is no one root cause. For all of us, it's a reminder in our personal lives that we can't simply rest on the laurels of a community or a people or see things only through particular silos of right and wrong and good and bad, but all of us are reminded in Parsha Breshit of that choice in which we make, the blessing we were given to make those choices. Let that weigh heavy on our heads. Let that teaching by Nelson Mandela inspire each of us so that we put our energy and our strength into love and we block out the hate where and when it exists because we can't live with any more hate in the world. May that be God's will and let us all sit.